This Cup of Earl Grey is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or online store. To create your own space, visit squarespace.com and save 10% by using offer code TREK9. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. T. Earl Grey, hot. It's time for another serving of Earl Grey, our dedicated TNG show. I'm Darren Moser, sitting in the center chair this week. And with me tonight is Chief Engineer Philip Gilfus. Philip, how's the warp core doing? Oh, it's running great, Darren. I've just made sure the hum is at a great speed. Because I know a lot of people are, are uh, getting ready for bed. and just want to make sure that it has that great hum so you can just relax, get to that REM state of sleep, and wake up nice and refreshed. Hopefully not with a shared uh, dream experience. Uh, that that doesn't seem to work too well when that happens. Uh, what, you don't like... Uh, uh... You don't like peptide cake? No, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of. I'm more Earl Grey, less peptide cake. <laughs> <laughs> Cellular peptide. Cellular peptide. And down in Cetacean Ops, <laughs> Daniel Prue. How's Lieutenant Commander Flipper doing, Daniel? Oh, he's doing all right. Uh, he's he's kind of getting antsy because we haven't had an away mission on a on a water world for a while. But uh, so yeah, so he's been kind of cooped up. But you know, I think. Just some time in the holodeck will do him some good. Some good. Now, how does Cetacean Ops get to the holodeck? That That's an interesting, interesting problem. Well, you see, actually, a little known fact about Cetacean Ops is the entire tank is coded in holographic projectors. So he kind of has his own holod- holodeck, you know? Wow. I did not know that. Wow. Sounds like they have the best room on the D. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. The Enterprise D being the flagship of the United Federation of Planets, it's just such an amazing ship. And really, when you go into a show, any Star Trek show, the ship is almost a character in itself. And it's so important to the premise, to how the other characters uh, act around it. And today on Earl Grey, we're going to be talking about the NCC-1701D. No bloody A, B, C, or E, or star, asterisk, uh, no letter. So uh, today we're talking about the... Today we're talking about the fifth generation of the USS <laughs> Sorry, Enterprise. You had to count that was. <laughs> Daniel, I was going to take that out in editing. Now you totally ruined it. <laughs> I was wondering what you were doing. And he was using his toes, which is the The captain part, always but... have to have the right answer. Oh, now people know. I count out the, how many Ds there were. <laughs> That's where you use one of the yellow shirts for that kind of stuff when you're the captain. That's what he has. I have that little you know, display panel right there. I can do my little calculations with the calculator app and no one would even know. I could signal you to you know, throw a force field up or count how many iterations my ship there's been. I always thought those tiny consoles on the bridge were just for them to play solitaire. And I think I actually saw Counselor Troy playing Candy Crush in an episode I was watching. Well, that's, you know, they have the larger screens, probably you know, iPad size. Picard's got the little iPhone, you know, on each hand. It's... Very small. I don't think you could get a full set of solitaire in there. Those uh, little armrests there actually could be iPhone docks. So, you know, that's how he charges his phone and he just puts it in there. And then, you know, maybe he is playing solitaire. Who knows? His iPicard. <laughs> or his iBorg. There we go. Oh. 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 Or his Android. No, that's true. He does. He does use Android. I don't know. I do like Picard, but. Everybody loves the Android on the Enterprise. I don't know. I may have to think about that one. There, there's no Apple in the Star Trek universe until the JJ universe. So, Although there was a TOS episode called The Apple. That's true, but I think that was a little different. Well, back to the Enterprise-D. Uh, first off, we're going to talk about things we just love about this ship. So, Daniel, what are what are some things you, know, you enjoy about this iteration of the Starship Enterprise? Oh, man. So, the, the, the D is the ship that I started with. I mean, uh, it's a beautifully designed ship. I actually think it's um, it's more than the sum of its parts because a lot of the individual pieces of the D I don't care for. Like, the saucer section is a bit too oblong and strange, and the nacelles are a bit too small. And, and when it's separated, the star drive section looks ridiculous. But 
it, but when when it's all together and and the ship is flying past the screen, I mean, it it still is magical. I think it's just the it, 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 at least in me, it invokes the most emotion of any of the ships, even to this day. Yeah, I kind of tend to agree with you with the the look of the battle star drive section when that saucer's off. It it just it looks like a mushroom or something it just has this unique it doesn't look threatening at all it looks like hey i i left the other part of my ship over there and uh, let me go get that and uh uh don't don't look i'm, I'm changing <laughs> <laughs> it looks like the enterprise junior like it's like the kid version of the enterprise and, and yeah it does not look threatening at all i mean i like to think of the saucer as the toupee for the battle section, you know, <laughs> the battle section does not, you know, and uh, you want to use the Picard metaphor there, but they're like, you know, I'm just going to keep the rug on. No one's ever going to notice what I really look like. I'm going to be a more confident starship. You know, that's what it's all about. Being the the battle section, I don't know. It just you'd think it'd be more intimidating, more angular. And I think some of the other other starships just pull that off being just more threatening. But but that we'll get to some other iterations of of the Enterprise next. But Philip, what are some things you enjoy about this class of this galaxy class of starship? Well, I think just from an exterior standpoint of the starship, getting ready for this episode and pulled out all the mini versions of the D I have, whether it's the miniature or the Playmates or the uh, Diamond Selector or what have you. And I think one thing I really enjoy about the Enterprise D is when you look at the exterior. Like ever, like form meets function. Like you know, this this ring here, well, that's the phaser array, and this this dot here is a thruster, and this little you know, everything does something. You know, you can see it right there. These little things here, they're escape pods. You know, and it's all sort of sort of very you know shows you what you're getting. And then I think really also the big part about the the ship is its bigness in and of itself. I mean, this was sort of the it's the 24th century. This is the biggest starship ever made, you know, compared to the to the original series and the original series movie Enterprises. And it's just sort of the bigness and vastness of, I suppose, the 80s, maybe. I don't know, the excess of the 80s. But, but it was just, you know, a big starship, you know, technology as far as we've taken it ever before. And so I think it's just big, impressive. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more in detail about the interior stuff as well. But, I mean, I think it's just... Of course, like Daniel said, just the image of that Enterprise just going into warp and, and blasting away, you know, that's that's Star Trek to me. I like what you said about the functionality, because thinking about it, none of the other Star Trek shows kind of have that. I, I feel like the D, more than any of the other ships that we see, um, maybe had the most thought behind it. I mean, other than maybe the original Enterprise, only because they were starting from scratch and they had to come up with everything. But like... You're right. Everything that's on the D, every little detail has a reason for being there and a purpose for being there. And the later series seem to kind of just go for that cool factor. Like, whoa, you know, like the Defiant is like totally different and kind of doesn't make any sense. But, you know, and, and then Voyager comes out and what can what can Voyager do to be cool? Well, we can have folding nacelles. That's cool. But again, doesn't really make any sense. And then in, in obviously enterprise is going backwards so that's a whole nother animal but that that's an interesting point i didn't i never really thought about that but the functionality is definitely there well it's interesting how the enterprise d the enterprise line is it's kind of the the base model of starship design where you have a round roundish saucer you know connected by a neck to a star drive section with two nacelles you know coming up above the above the battle section and that iteration uh, always progresses throughout the enterprise line and then you have all these other ships and like you said like the defiant it's like they have to try to not be that saucer attached to a star drive like that you know they're kind of like the you know the the s model and the c model and like the offshoot models of starship design with in the star trek universe but one of the things you said philip about the interior though you know speaking of the first episode encounter at Farpoint and it's interesting how many you know they're revealing this ship for the first time and you see it I mean you see some angles of it that we don't see very often and you see a lot of technology inside of it that we don't see all the time I mean I think it comes into view coming down at the camera you know with that whimsical 80s music playing like oh here's the Enterprise and and then you know Riker's walking around and 
and they're like, hey, look, we have a snazzy computer that doesn't sound like it's grinding two gears together when you ask it to do something. And you push this button and it gives you a map and little things light up. And I, you never see that ever again outside of the pilot. It's, it's like, you know, let's pull out the red carpet and then, OK, well, maybe we don't have to do all these little snazzy things every time. Let, let's just make the doors open and close. That's good enough. And, and it was blue carpet. Just just want to point that out. It was blue carpet. That was cool. I loved that from Encounter at Farpoint when she's like, first of all, come on, Riker. He, he hasn't even looked up this stuff on the on the Galaxy class yet. So this little this little ensign. No or beard. <laughs> yeah, this little ensign or lieutenant is like, oh, you don't really know what you're doing. You know, all you do is touch this thing. In the computer. I thought that was awesome functionality. Like you could never get lost on that ship. It'll show you exactly where to go. And I really kind of wish they I wish they integrated that into the show more. And I wish they expanded on it. I think there could have been some cooler stuff that they did with that. Those those black panels along the uh, the corridors but alas we didn't get it and as they slowly moved away from kind of the the taupe wood grain that seemed to pop up just about everywhere to more of the the stainless steel look it was just interesting where there were certain technologies like it seemed the 24th century forgot like seat belts or security cameras or you know, bulkhead doors that can close. Like I can think of many times that just those three inventions being installed on the D would have saved. So, I mean, I know it's television and, and you need the drama and, and we can put force fields in places, but I don't know. Sometimes why can't we just put a security camera on a corridor? It, it, no, we got to talk about it. You really need to come down and see this. I can't tell you what it is. I can't show you a view of it. You just need a turbo lift ride, three doors down, turn left, and then then you'll get it. But it's television. What are you going to do? Well, there is certainly a, a evolution in the interior of the uh, Enterprise D. I'm about hopefully almost near, not hopefully in a bad way, but I'm hopefully near the end of my season two rewatch, which is, you know, seasons one and two are kind of the same visual element. And it's odd because, you know, from from one, one point of view, starting with season one, you have this Enterprise D, you know, looking at the other two Enterprises again, from the original and the A. You know, we're going to make this a little softer. We're going to have the carpeting. We're going to have the lighting. We're going to have the families. You know, this is a warmer starship. This isn't a battleship. But yet, those quarters in the first and second season still feel like a battleship a little bit. It's a little more like steel and metal. Whereas when you go to the season three and beyond, you have sort of these warmer corridors that are a little more well lit and more open. And you feel like, well, this is the families are walking around. This is the, uh, you know, convention center in space or whatever, or the uh, the town car of the fleet. Um, you know, and that it's going to be much more comfortable and much more well lit and much more nice. But it's interesting that we're that evolution, which I know is probably more budgetary than design, but see that evolution of, of how we're going to make this look go. I mean, even the bridge changed a little bit, I think in the carpeting actually from the various seasons, but, but, but that evolution to make it more warmer, more well lit, more, you know, I, I don't know what the word would be comfortable, but it was, was very interesting. Although to be fair, they, they did throw potted plants in the corridors to make them seem warm, which I actually hate. I hate seeing that. It's so It looks so cheesy and fake. As soon as those inertial dampeners go offline, those plants are just flying. I, I'm sorry, unless they're bolted to, to the corridor. But, but let's take a moment and talk about, uh, before we keep on going through iterations of the Enterprise, of the set. I mean, as a, as a television show, uh, like you said, Philip, I think Every season they did change out the carpet in the bridge and it's slightly different every season. And you again, you you start to add more things on the side. The side panels get more lights and, and things going on. They're not just, you know, wood grain matched mahogany, you know, you know, panels. And uh, and the biggest change, I think, between those seasons you were discussing is the observation lounge, which originally I think was just a redress of the sick base set and didn't get its actual set i think until either season 2 or 3 but they that's when you got the you started to get the models and you know it really looked different you know with that great uh with that wonderful square screen where all the bad morals would show up yeah i love the evolution of the of the observation lounge because in in season 1 and maybe 2 it was sort of like I don't even know where it was in the ship. You know, it's like a terse meeting on the bridge. I don't know. What are we going to do? Let, let's go meet. And like, I, they just go to the turbo lift and like sit in silence. Just goes to the observation lounge, walk down the hallway in silence, then go to the observation lounge. All right, let's start talking now. And then suddenly, you know, season two or three, they're like, yeah, it's, it's right behind us in the bridge. That's where we're going. 
I wish, and, and I'm sure they didn't, they couldn't due to the budget and, and the technology in the 80s, but I always wished, and this is probably why the, the windows are the, the height that they are at, but I wish that we could see the, the backside of the Enterprise through the observation lounge windows just just to get that little extra. Just say you wish you could see the backside of the Enterprise. <laughs> it's a it's a sexy ship, you know. What can I say? <laughs> Daniel's an eft man. I, I I there was an episode of the Ready Room where it came out that I'm a, a I'm very big into nacelles. So if I could just take a look out those windows and look at those nacelles all the time, I would never leave the room. Well, I do agree. I I mean when they rarely use that shot but when they did have a shot of maybe a, a shuttlecraft leaving or and it's just a, a di- you could tell oh that's not a stock shot that's a new shot oh you know look how big the nacelles are oh they're right there oh can we just you know you, you're that kid looking over the window wishing you could see the rest of uh, the rest of the ship that i totally agree with you wasted opportunity you know what else changes quite a bit though is uh the ready room changes quite a bit throughout the seasons as well that's true. You have uh, the the chairs sometimes in a different spot. You have that beautiful painting, which I, I believe that painting was the one. I th- I'm going to go and say that Matt Jeffries, I believe, painted that. But I believe it was the nerds across the world will unite and tell me if I'm wrong. But it, I, I do know that that painting was the concept that sold the look of the Enterprise D. And that is what convinced the producers, what's convinced Rosenberry. This is the look of this ship that we're going to do as it evolves from Kirk's Enterprise. I wonder where that painting is now. I would like to have it. I would like to have it as well. (laughs) Yeah, the ready room keeps changing. Again, there's a couple episodes where Picard hits a button and a little hologram pops up out of the table and he sees cool little planet. Again, we don't see that all the time. And it's like that technology almost gets forgotten (laughs) by the writers. But but it has very important things. It has uh, his fish tank. With uh, Livingston, the lionfish in it. You're shaking your head, Daniel. Philip, earlier today, put up a video, uh, and I just found out that fish had a name. I had no idea. This, this Really? Well, it's never named in the show. Well, yeah, yeah but, but I mean, I've read lots of things about Star Trek The Next Generation, and I've never come across the fact that the, ship had, or the, the, the fish had a name. And this blows my mind. This, this is a whole new world for me. Yeah, and Livingston was named after David Livingston, who was one of the uh, supervising producers for the show. You know, I used to always think it was, you know, the Livingston, like the Dr. Livingston, I presume. Although Livingston is special, he does have his own Star Trek The Next Generation collectible card game card. I'm surprised you didn't know this, Daniel. I mean, it's everybody knows who Livingston is. Wow, I'm probably gonna get a lot of hate mail. But this does beg the question, is there like a small tube for Livingston to get into cetacean ops from the ready room? I think that Livingston is an acting ensign. I think it makes complete perfect sense. I think he probably, no, I think he's probably, I don't know if it's a he or a she, but I think it probably has, it's a yeoman. It's basically yeoman Rand for Captain Picard is Livingston. Maybe in a, in a little bit of, well, because, you know, yeoman Rand used to bring Kirk his coffee and, uh, and, and Livingston is right across there from the, the replicator, so it's possible that he could be a, a yeoman, I guess. Exactly. That is the most important, at least to us, piece of equipment in the entire Enterprise D is Picard's replicator, where he often goes and orders tea, Earl Grey, hot. You know, every time you say the name of the show, our listeners have to take a drink of some sort of beverage. But you're actually drinking Earl Grey, aren't you? Now, have either of you ever seen the blueprint layout of, not not the... The spaceship, but the actual soundstage layout. I'll, I'll have to send you the link and, and I'll put it in the show notes. I found, came across this great site that had all the different sound stages that were used in Star Trek and what episodes they were used in and, and pictures of how they were laid out if they had it. And so the two main stages, I think it was eight and nine, were for use for Star Trek The Next Generation and for many Star Trek shows after. But uh, they show how they're laid out. And I just find it so interesting because once you kind of visualize it and then you see an episode where they're walking through the corridors and you're like, they're going to turn right because they literally can't turn left because there's nothing there. And you can kind of feel as they're moving around the set, you know, where the transporter room is, where engineering is, where, you know, 10 forward is. And because it was built later, the observation lounge is actually to the right of the bridge. It's not connected. So you can never have that kind of tracking shot. Let's go through this door down the ramp into that conference room. But I love stuff like that. I love those little details, seeing 
how it was laid out, how it was just packed in there because they they pack so much into those two sound stages, but present an entire ship. I mean, it's a it's a big ship. <laughs> well, I like and, and and I don't know if this was the plan going in with Next Generation, but if you've ever seen that overlay, that the size of the Enterprise D is based on the size of the Paramount lot. No, I've never I've never seen that one. You know, I've just seen it in random magazines and books and whatever. That you'll see the Paramount lot and you'll see the overlay of the Galaxy class starship, and that's, that's how big it is. That makes a lot of sense. So, no, that's that's cool how they that's how they factored up the the scale or, or used it. You know, as you said in promo shots to to explain, oh, this is how big it is. It's it's pretty big because in space it's kind of hard to get that sense of perspective unless you're docked with something or orbiting something that we know how big it is apparently it's big enough to fit in a starbase but that's for another episode <laughs> i know like how did how did the uh, original enterprise barely get in there but now like the galaxy class is just right, we got enough room here don't get me started <laughs> don't get me started that's uh <laughs> well that's because the starbases are like the tardis so don't it, get it, me started it's pretty ridiculous but <laughs> one of the things i liked uh, as we wrap up talking about the the set of the enterprise is I think actually initially they did not have an engineering set and when Roddenberry was told that they weren't going to build one uh, or or authorize the budget for it he specifically rewrote part of Encounter at Farpoint to include an engineering set so they had to build it that kind of, you can kind of tell uh, if you ever noticed the top of the turbo lift is the is the same as the warp core so the warp core is actually two turbo lift tops sandwiched together like a top and a bottom to make that piece. So they just took the same mold and used it for that, the, for the main chamber, the dilithium chamber. So there's, there's just all sorts of great things. The set's been used in many things in, in a lot of the movies, the later movies after it was, you know, in place. Uh, but it's just, it's a great set and it looks great, man, that, that rich leather and, and wood. Oh man, just can't get enough of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh... If if we want to go into that a little bit, the the bridge itself, how iconic is that? I mean, you know, it's it, it, look. There are people trying to bring the bridge back to to restore the bridge. I mean, it's people. It's got such a oh man, like an iconic look to it. You didn't even have to watch Star Trek, and you would have recognized that bridge even today. Even if you've never seen an episode of the Next Generation. I feel like 90% of people could recognize the bridge. Well, and I've seen in the news that there are several, you know, agencies and groups that it won't look exactly like it. They're not going for a replica, but they'll use Star Trek bridge layouts in situation rooms, in in things like that, because the way it actually lays out information of everyone staring at a at a central location and you're able to access your own computer and it actually functions like a bridge it's not just oh yes well some people may think oh well why would you have the tactical station up here you know why does he have to always look over picard's shoulder but it 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 seems to work and daniel and i were talking in a cargo bay 2 uh earlier about the fact that i used to go to the star trek uh the experience in vegas at the las vegas hilton i mean multiple times because i happened to live in california at the time and the experience of being on that enterprise d version bridge i mean Beyond words. I mean, I do have a picture of me sitting there in the center seat, but just, you know, it was almost like I'd go in that, that ride, you know, quote unquote ride. And you're there with, you know, a lot of other people, like 25 other people, 30 other people. And you get on that bridge and you're just looking around and actually being on there after having watched the show. And you're like, can I just like bribe the guy $50? Just leave me alone on the bridge for 10 minutes. That's all I need. Just all I need. I just want to sit in a couple of chairs, press a few buttons, make a few sound effects. But I mean, you know, it's it's that that bridge because again, it's sort of focusing the size of the ship. I mean, that's a big bridge. You know, it has that carpeting, which you know, some people say, oh, you know, the, the whole carpeting corporate Enterprise D. But I mean, sort of a, again, that warmth, that comfort, the the size of where we are in the twenty fourth century, that awesomeness. But like you said, we still have that function going. And I, mean, I just, you know, can't say enough. I can't say enough about, you know, how awesome that bridge is. And, and, and you know, I, I like the other bridges in the other series as well. But, I mean, it's just, you know, put me on the Enterprise D and, and I'll be a happy man. Though, and I don't know if we want to talk about, they kept improving that bridge. And for and generations, did, did they finally perfect the bridge? You know, give that, that tactical officer who probably had varicose veins after 
uh, seven years of standing up and finally gave them a chair and, and added a few more stations. I think their budget allowed them to perfect the bridge. It's a chair. It's a chair. All you need is a chair. You have to jump for your chair. You don't get a chair until you're a lieutenant commander. That's that's the- <laughs> is that the rule? Well, there's a great website that uh, I came across today that actually has virtual QuickTime pans of the Star Trek experience, all the different locations, the corridors, the bridge. I'll put that in the in the show notes if you want to shed a single tear for a, a great uh, Star Trek uh, monument that's been been lost to us. But moving on from the internals and the, and the amazing set that makes the D, one of the things about the D was it. It was very different from the only other Enterprise we'd ever known, which was Captain Kirk's Enterprise, the 1701 and subsequently the 1701A. But primarily we'll be discussing about the the one from the original series uh, with no bloody A, B, C or D. And I mean, th- there are so many differences in the ship besides just the scale. Like you said, Philip, there were families. You had uh, the fencing officer on standby for Picard. I mean, that was I'm sure that went all the way back to the Utopia Planitia design phase that they would have that uh, cetacean ops. I mean, all these amazing things that you just had more space to put things. You had that beautiful stellar cartography room. It's like three decks tall. It's huge. And holodecks. I mean, there's so much of the of the saucer section is just filled with holodecks. I mean, these rooms, yes, you could use them for, you know, training, but... It's like how much how much percentage wise volume of the ship is dedicated to fun? All of it. Well, like Wesley says, an encounter at Firepoint, it'd be hard to get bored on this ship. <laughs> well, so speaking to the, the families on the Enterprise, and this is a subject I would imagine we'll probably come back to again. It is a unique event here in, in TNG. Even the E, I don't think, has families on it, or at least we're never privy to that information, but certainly doesn't seem that way. So we have this unique phenomenon. I mean, obviously, Deep Space Nine had families, but that's uh, not a sh- that's not a ship, so that doesn't count. And and so we have this. I'm kind of split on it. Like sometimes it kind of upsets me because it seems like a really irresponsible thing to do to bring children onto a ship where anybody could die at any moment from some. They could fall through the floor through some, you know, crazy gravimetric anomaly of the week on the other hand it it adds to the flavor of tng i mean and it it becomes a big concern for a lot of the episodes so it 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 makes up with some interesting drama i think and for our listeners who'd like to learn more about the views and analysis of families on the enterprise d there's an up-and-coming trek fm writer he's a he's a pretty hotshot guy and he wrote an article called starfleet brats i think you can find that article on trek fm it's all about the children on the Enterprise. Do you happen to know the writer's name, Philip? I I believe you can find him on Twitter under NC Public Servant. That helps so much because it's really hard for me to find good written content about my favorite starship and their families. So I, I am your target audience, Philip. I mean, uh, NC. Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised your Twitter name doesn't have a NCC in it. I'd be more of an NX, I suppose. I've been recently doing a rewatch of Enterprise, and it's interesting how, in a lot of ways, the D almost seems more fit for Enterprise's mission. I mean, yes, in Next Generation, they're on a five-year mission, and I mean, the the Galaxy class was built for extended missions without resupply, and they can go long distances, but yet often they're just you know, you feel like they're in the heart of Federation space. Like, yes, they're exploring and they're kind of on the edge, but they interact with starships all the time. A quick subspace call and you have a, an Excelsior class popping up right next to you, you know, every other week. Whereas in Enterprise, they're just, they go that way and they just keep going. I mean, every day it's, it's like the inverse Voyager. Every day they're farther from home. And so that would almost, for me, seem more of like that ship should have the families and be a generational ship or almost designed like that. So so it's just an interesting comparison between the shows and their mission. Uh, I think it just shows, you know, in a way the the level Starfleet had reached. I mean, it's like the Federation is very established past Kirk's era. We're not in an active time of war. Uh, there's not like the Klingons or the Romulans, you know, destroying our outposts every week. So that allows for that comfort level that would let uh, an organization like Starfleet allow families on the flagship you know, of their fleet. Remember, though, in Encounter at Farpoint, we weren't at a time of war, but they retconned that later on when they said we were involved in a Cardassian war for three years prior to the episode. But Oh, those bloody Cardies. 
that's another <laughs> subject entirely. But yeah, I mean, obviously that's that's kind of the idea that they're trying to give us in Encounter at Four Point when they're like children on the on the on the Enterprise. What 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 is this madness? You know, it's it's obviously meant to convey a sense of security of stability, uh, you know, political stability in the Star Trek universe, which they get away from with every show after that. But it, which which is another unique kind of aspect of TNG that, yeah, of course, we're bumping into the Romulans and and the Klingons and, and, and these a whole host of other races. But for the most part, nobody's shooting at each other. And, and I think this is what we're talking about because um, we're talking about it in, in a positive light. But certainly this could be a dividing line for some Star Trek fans about like, oh, TNG, they got their kids, little kids walking around. They got this plush carpet you know that's not life in space man it's it's harsh and it's battles and it's all that and that's why we like our other series a little bit more better because it's not this comfy hotel you know sheridan in space or whatever the, the the critiques are so i'm drawn to tng and the d because of those very reasons but certainly that's some people are turned off by that i'd say voyager has more children running around than the enterprise d ever did i mean you saw them in the background but they weren't major characters <laughs> you really shouldn't call ensign kim a child i mean i thought he was a well-developed character there Ensign Babyface. <laughs> Nobody thinks he's a well-developed character. Oh, uh, well, well, circling back to our Enterprise, you know, past Kirk's era, one of the interesting things about the ship, again, because of its lineage with the Enterprise name, you have the progression of Kirk's ship to the A, to the B, to the C, to the D, and then onward. You know, uh, yes, you could go back to the NX, but, you know, really when the Enterprise was most made famous uh, for at least for the majority of people is Kirk's ship. Kirk is the one that turned the Starship Enterprise from just being a ship as it had been commanded by many captains before him into just such a memorable, memorable ship and was, you know, under his reign that it was given that designation of a, you know, and that's a huge honor to say, Hey, we're going to keep your registry number and it's not going to change. I mean, that's, you know, history better not forget the name enterprise because we're, we're busy. Keep, we have a lot a backlog of one seven Oh one stencils and we got to use them all. <laughs> but what do you guys think as we progress, you know, from the A to the B to the C to the D. So the A being basically the movie enterprise, it was identical probably as a more as a budgetary reason for, for anything, but the bridge just changes every other day for some reason. Uh, okay. So the biggest jump out of the whole line for me is the A to the B. I don't see it at all. It makes, it makes zero sense from a design standpoint to me. Like, unless like I, maybe it's supposed to mirror like what happens to Shatner. Like it gets really heavy in the bottom and, you know, and kind of dumpy looking, but that's okay. I mean, that's neither here nor there, but yeah, interestingly enough, when I was watching yesterday's enterprise, when season three came out on Blu-ray, you watching that yesterday. I will actually wasn't, but <laughs> when it came out on Blu-ray and the C comes out, I really think that the C is a perfect midway point between the B and the D. I didn't even notice that the neck, part of the ship that holds up the saucer has the same ridges as the B does. And I never even noticed that in standard definition for some reason, but I always thought that was kind of a brilliant little touch in that design. Yeah, the ambassador class is definitely that kind of odd stepchild where it's it's like it needs to be bigger than the B, but it can't feel too much like the D because there's times when at certain angles I'll look at it and go, why did this even change into the D? Like it's got a huge... You think it's got such a big star drive section. It's like, wow, that's like way bigger than the B or the A ever had. And then, but then you look at it at another angle and you're like, okay, no, it it did get substantially larger in the D and, and the saucer just kind of grew 20% and got oblonged. And it has that kind of prequel sequel syndrome where it has to fit in between these two ships we've established. Now, Daniel, I have to ask, do you have some sort of scale for your nacelles? So like, if you're if you're if you're liking the D nacelles, where's the B? Because those are some really long nacelles there. Oh, I I definitely do. Or does size not make a difference with you? Uh, oh, size makes a difference. But the problem with okay, I mean, I don't know how deep we want to get into this. We could have a whole show about nacelles, and maybe we will. Um, no, the B are far. The, the proportions way off. You can't have nacelles that long and that thin. It doesn't work. It makes no sense. 
It, 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 structurally, it makes no sense. I'm, whatever. I really, I don't like the B at all. I don't know if I'm the only one that feels that way, but I'm not a fan of, of the Excelsior class design at all. I often felt with the B looking down at the top of the saucer, you have that kind of pattern going around the middle that kind of drifts back. I, it looks like a chainsaw. Like if you fired that up, the top would just start spinning and maybe would cut into you know, whatever ship it was going to ram. You were transitioning from the B to the C and the Bina cells, you know, they still had, you know, the black grill on the side. And then you moved to the C cell and it just looked like it was just generating energy and it had that warp field coming out of it from, you know, the blue sides and it's just a big contrast right there. And then you could definitely see how it made that step to eventually the Enterprise D. And just so you know, Philip, uh, yeah, the the ships with the red and blue, you know, with the with the red Bassard collectors and the blue lines down the the nacelle, those are the best nacelles in Star Trek for sure. Yeah, like I'm looking forward again to your to your scales. Like maybe we can come up by next ne- next episode of Daniel's nacelle scales. Oh, I mean, I ha- yeah, I I have them all in my head, but there's in it there's there's a there's reasoning behind it. There's logic. You know, I have a, a whole list. Yeah, we'll get into it sometime. I mean, do you give them like five proofs? I mean, what is what is our measurement for how the quality? Oh man, I don't know. What would I give them? I'll have to figure that out. Maybe a measurement of you know warp coils, something you know you could have one or ten or Cochrans, maybe. Oh, there you go. Well, you can never get to ten because baby lizard babies. No one ever gets a scale of ten. <laughs> it's only nine point something or below. That's because if you reach 10, you'll be everywhere at once, right? Isn't that the idea? Well, uh, but, but there was an episode that did explain that, but uh, we won't we won't go that into that <laughs> that episode today. But if we had to pick one part, you know, just we thought that could be improved on the Enterprise D, what do you guys think it would be? Philip, do you have a, a part on your beloved Starship that maybe maybe could have used a little more revision? Maybe it could have been installed a little more on Tuesday? Well, there, and hopefully I'm not cheating on this answer because I'm not going to say one. I'm going to say several, but I'll keep it short. I was talking earlier about um, Daniel's aft um, part of the ship. When I was looking at my Enterprise D models, it made me realize they really didn't use a lot of functions that they have. Like they have aft phaser arrays, never seen them use, you know, on the top and on the bottom. You have the cargo bay doors on the bottom that you never see an exterior cargo bay door used. Exactly. And then like the captain's yacht, never got to see the D's captain's yacht, never got to see an escape pod. Yeah, and so I mean, really, my only—I mean, it's not really a complaint. My only complaint is just they had all these things that we never saw used, and so it's like, well, it's cool, but I mean, you had seven movie or seven seasons in a movie, you really don't have an excuse never, not to ever use this thing. It was really just that, that we didn't get to see all the ship. You know, what did Citation Ops really look like? I've just heard uh, Daniel share Commander Flipper's uh, experiences. You know, I'm. I can't go down there because uh, the water pressure gets to me. I get a headache. I think they had this big ship. They showed us a lot of photography earlier is because there was a problem um, when the ship was first made. People kept falling off the rails and it's like two story fall. And so they closed it until they could, you know, put down some padding or whatever. And then they finally opened it up about seven and a half years later. So that way, you know, make it a little more safe. So correct me if I'm wrong. It's been a little while since I've seen Generations, but is it possible also that before it was used as stellar cartography, it might have been Cerebro. You know, it did have a bit of a Cerebro vibe. I, I, uh, I can, I see what you're saying there, Daniel. They did use it to find things. And it did have Professor X in it. Well, as we wrap up our talk about the Enterprise-D, we have to come to the sad conclusion of our favorite vessel through going out with a bang is is putting it lightly but in in the film generations the first film we get with our intrepid next gen crew unfortunately it leads to the demise of our ship uh, in a spectacular destruction of the battle section and crash landing of the saucer section hopefully not destroying our friends in cetacean op at the bottom of, of the saucer. I didn't know they existed at that point, so I, I was okay with it. But what do you guys feel about just the way they took to the destruction of the ship? And do you think that was a good decision to end using this ship that would have been with us in this story for seven years, you know, just because we're in a movie? A lot of people get upset at Generations because of how it ends Kirk. 
I get upset at Generations because of how it ends the D. I don't mind that they destroyed the ship because we get the E out of it, which is cool and new and fun and exciting. It seemed like a kind of situation that the Enterprise crew got out of. You know, got they got themselves out of that for seven years, and then all of a sudden, one time, it, it was just a bird of prey. It wasn't any. It, it was a bird of prey by the by Lursa and Bator, and it's like they're the ones that destroy our beloved ship. Come on, like this this ship went toe to toe with the Borg. What what they could have given us a better ending than that? I think. Or can you imagine if you know maybe the Enterprise was outrunning one of the shock waves and it was frantically trying to beam the last of the survivors off of a planet or a station and it just starts to get buffeted by the shockwave and it just completely weakens it and just gives it a major blow and then later it gets taken out even something like that but i mean that ship was in its prime i mean the galaxy class is designed to last for 20 25 years without refit and it had only been like seven or eight Lursa and Bator, come on. I mean, really? And that was a used bird of prey. That's not a, you know, that was like a, a 69 Ford bird of prey, you know, with the uh, the bad warp coil. Although know. rewatching episodes, you know, where the, the Duras family is a major player in Star Trek. And when you see a lot of the Klingon ones, the Duras family does present themselves as a fairly, you know, major adversary to Picard. But yeah, it, it, it still doesn't quite have that. I don't know, movie feel. But not to the Enterprise. No, not to the Enterprise. Though that Bird of Prey did have two sets of double-barrel weapons that I think were very effective. <laughs> I didn't I didn't quite catch what you were putting down there at first, but I got it. I, I'm still missing. I'm, I, my, my brain is thinking, wait, wait, no. Part of those are the rangefinders, and then the other part is the actual, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Daniel, I mean, I... I, I because I, I re- remember when Generations came out, that was the only movie I did not see uh, in the theaters. Just as I was sort of at that odd age where, you know, didn't have a car or a license. I, I think it was one of those, like, did did we do it just because we ha- had to? Like, you know, we're going to do a movie. We're going to blow up the Enterprise. You know, done. Killed Kirk. And, you know, it's like, I mean, you know, could we have waited? But, of course, you look at the next movie, First Contact, brand new uniforms, brand new ships. So it's almost like we're using Generations to do a clean slate. So... I mean, you know, from a selfish point of view, I would have loved to see the D maybe one more time. But, you know, it's certainly, like you said, I, I certainly am a fan of the E, but definitely was sad to see it go. And, 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 I mean, how many times have we seen barrel rolls from Geordi before this? And really, this was the final barrel roll that did it. It just, just wasn't enough. Well, if you're wanting more on that transition between the D and the E, there's a great book called Ship of the Line. Uh, I don't know if either of you have read it. It takes place in that space after Generations and Picard is dealing with, you know, the emotion of losing his ship. And does he still want to be a captain? Does he still want that responsibility? And it brings back Morgan Bateson from, you know, the Bozeman, Kelsey Grammer. And it just it's a great chapter of Trek. Every the, the the crew of the Enterprise is displaced. They don't have a ship. You know, are they going to stay together? Are they going to all be assigned to the next Enterprise? Are they going to build another one? There's all these questions that are answered, and it's a great book. It's it's one of my favorite Star Trek books by far. Now, does any time during the book does a uh, Captain uh, Bates say? Good God, Picard. No, but they do have some sort of squid mascot that kind of wraps around his leg, and it you you definitely feel like this man is a little bit out of his depth jumping all the way from Kirk's century to to our century but they play it really well and they they just weave this great story picking up in those events of is it time squared cause and effect cause and effect there you go philip you get a torpedo for that one in cause and effect where you know the bozeman comes out of that spatial rift and almost hits the enterprise uh enterprise's nacelle and it almost hits it i mean it does a lot of times but then it misses you know it's it's a great story on just taking those moments from shows and episodes that we enjoy and just weaving it into a bigger picture. So gentlemen, as we all join each other on the bridge, what are your your final thoughts on this lovely lady of the stars, Philip? You know, again, I can't say enough about the ship, the exterior, the interior. You know, if if people haven't seen the old timey uh, interactive technical manual CD tour. I I found the video on YouTube so they can check it out that way or pick up the old technical manual if you can even find it for the Enterprise D. Then there's new new books out. You can find right now in your local bookstore that uh, Michael Okuda has out. It's a new CD that tours the Enterprise D and and shows the Enterprise D. So there's, and then the Haynes manual, a technical, or uh, 
blueprints. So, and then there's the blueprints also that we talked about earlier. So, I mean, there's just so many ways to appreciate the Enterprise D. I know for a lot of people make fun of it, like, oh, it's aerodynamic. There's no such thing as aerodynamic in space or it's so big and bulky. But, you know, for the time that it was, that this was the pinnacle of Starfleet technology, you know, the size of it, the, the awesomeness of it, the interior of it. I mean, obviously, because I love TNG and I love the D, I can't say enough, but it was a great ship great memories. And every time I, I see that carpet, it just brings out those great memories. And how about you, Daniel? What are your thoughts? So it's difficult for me to, to think who has the more iconic ship, Kirk or Picard? This is just me throwing this out here. I mean, people probably will say Kirk most of the time, and, and maybe they're right. But to me, when I think of the Enterprise, that's what I think of. I think of the D. I don't think of the original series Enterprise. I think of the D. Somebody says Enterprise. Oh, there's the Enterprise. Oh, there's got to be the D. That's that's my Enterprise. That's the ship that I know best, that I've spent the most time on. And, you know, every time I see Captain Picard and, and Riker and Data on the bridge, it's, it, it brings, like, warm feelings to me. Like, it's such good memories. I was with them for seven years and even longer now. I mean, obviously, the show's been, you know, it's almost 30 years old. And I've been watching it ever since I was a little kid. And, and I'll probably continue to watch it forever. So it's it's such a happy place for me and I, and I love all of the adventures on it. Now last question to you two, if you could have your quarters anywhere on the Enterprise where would it be? I'd go with 11 forward. I'd have mine right underneath 10 forward, still get the front of the ship, get the beautiful view you could run a competing establishment against Guinan if you really wanted to, you know and I'm guaranteed that Picard's not going to try to ram this ship into another so I don't have to worry about that. Except, except the problem would be generations because then you would probably fly out the window or something a tree would come through and there's a specific shot of the front of the ship and i see my quarters fully intact i don't know if you guys can say that about yours so where uh where would you have your quarters daniel oh uh, you know what i would have mine directly in the center of the saucer section i feel like that would be the safest place and it's you know probably nearby cetacean ops so i could probably hang out with commander flipper quite a bit and what about you philip uh, my quarters would definitely be next to the Ambo Jitsu ring and the, the fencing ring because I, I really want to stay in shape, um, keep my Starfleet fighting ability going. Don't want to have to walk a long way because I'm both one to get my exercise on and am lazy. So that way I get the best of both worlds. Episode title. So, you know, that, that would be a perfect place. Hang on, hang on. Let me, I, I just have to ask this then. If you, if you are putting your quarters next to some sort of exercise room, why not in the, the aerobics room where Troy and Crusher were working out that one time? I mean, then you get to work out and some eye candy. So, Although with his luck, it'll be next to the same, uh, almost identical looking room where Worf is having his calisthenics class and he's throwing people to the floor blindfolded, you know, to teach them uh, a moral lesson. <laughs> well, as we end this episode, Philip, you win the get the episode title right pool with one photon torpedo so i'm sure there'll definitely be many more photon torpedoes in our armory coming up always tricky to get next gen titles right but we all we seem to do pretty well at it well it's been fun talking about the enterprise d today but this is just one of the trek topics that we've been talking about on trek fm this week here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network previously on trek.fm the orb Aliens of Deep Space Nine. That's a really good question. I honestly never even thought to question the Vorta's idea of their own existence uh, and whether or not it was, you know, just a story. The Ready Room. A matter of honor. Riker is the perfect person to go on this exchange because he has that confidence to go toe-to-toe with a Klingon to make his presence known and to get that authority right away. To the journey! The Malon. I, I just loved how the, uh, the how immediately when the Malon came on, the, the main guy came on the view screen, he's like, I use six spatial charges. I expect to be compensated. Like, it wasn't even like, <laughs> hey, you okay? Commentary, Trek stars. Ronald D. Moore. I'm, say, I'm saying that I don't know who the Ringo of D-Space 9 is, but it wasn't Ron Moore, because Ron Moore... Has gotta be the Paul McCartney. Warp five. The sphere builders. And and it is a good concept. I think it uh, and obviously the reasons it was introduced were, were more because of the studio and wanting that uh, looking forward perspective, you know, getting ahead of the twenty fourth century. Trek news and views. Darmok. I just have to put a book and I say what on. 
Yeah, what, what, what do you mean? What aren't? Yeah, Kindle or no? I went to a bookshop. Went to a bookshop. Literary treks. Assignment Earth Comics. I kind of liked it in that it picks up from Assignment Earth, the Star Trek episode, where we find out that Gary Seven has been sent there to find out why the two agents who were supposed to be stopping that missile launch can't do it. What happened to them? And introducing our new next generation show, Earl Grey. My garage turned into a holodeck with some crepe paper and a nice grid pattern. I just could not get enough of it. That was Halloween. That was everything. And my parents very indulgingly gave me many Playmates toys because those things were awesome. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them in iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can stream and download files from our website. Now, if you'd like to share your thoughts on today's episode, just go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose Send to Show and choose Earl Grey. That will come to all three of us by email. You can also use the tab on the right-hand side of any page to send us a voicemail using your webcam's microphone. Or you can talk to us and our listeners in the forums at trek.fm slash forums. In social media, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter under username TrekFM. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsors for today's show. Squarespace is the best web hosting and CMS that makes it simple for you to create a beautiful blog, website, portfolio, online store, or anything you can imagine. Create your own space today. Just go to squarespace.com for your free 14-day trial, no credit card required, and then use our offer code TREK9 to save 10%. You're going to love it, and we really thank Squarespace for their support of Earl Grey and TrekFM. Also, if you would personally like to support Old Grey, the network, and our programming, visit trek.fm slash donate. We have eight alien-themed badges and art prints as a thank you for your contribution. And you can mix and match badges and art prints. There are different levels of donation to choose from, and your contributions help us cover the costs of production, storage, and bandwidth needed to bring Earl Grey and our other shows to you every week. Well, as as one of the co-hosts here on Earl Grey, I just would like to humbly thank all of our new listeners and and fans of the show the, the response we've received it's just been incredible everyone's been tweeting about it talking about it posting about it and we're just we've worked really hard to bring you a great show about our favorite series the next generation just thank you so much for listening and just giving us great feedback yeah i, th- I think it's just been really been great looking forward to uh, more feedback on itunes and everywhere else and if i could clink my uh cup of Earl Grey against the microphone right now without breaking it, I would, to all of our fans. We thank you for listening and, and help us spread the word and and help us enjoy and, and tell everyone why TNG is so wonderful. And keep giving us iTunes reviews. Daniel uh, has an iTunes review quota he has to get every every month or, or uh, he gets he loses a pip, so please, for the sake of Daniel, give, give us an iTunes review. <laughs> and I'm only down to one. I know, he's officer in charge of radishes now. At least he's not junior grade officer in charge of radishes. I mean, that's, it's at least it's above acting ensign. That's true, but even Wesley became a real ensign one day. One day, Daniel, one day, you'll make it to full ensign. Now, if our listeners want to get in touch with either of you outside of Trek FM, what is a great way for people to reach you, Philip? Primarily on Twitter, my handle is surprisingly... NC Public Servant, and they can also find uh, several articles I've written uh, for the network Trek FM at the Trek FM website. And how about you, Daniel? Yeah, Twitter would be the best way. I'm at OneUpDan, which is the number one, not the word. And you can find me tweeting about Star Trek and other related nerd topics. And the best place to find me is, again, on Twitter. I am Dr. Sci-Fi. That's D-R-S-C-I-F-I. And you can also find my website and other show, The Dr. Sci-Fi Show, on DrSciFi.com. No, we're, we're always on Twitter and enjoying our discussion about the finer points of TNG. The good stuff we save for, for the podcast, though. Well, for some reason, all the replicators are spitting out Ractaginos when I order my old gray tea. So I'm going to have LaForge look into this. Live long and prosper. Engage. Make it so. Fire. Fire.